Welcome to the Not Your Parents Workplace Show. I'm Nathan Tanner. If you're looking to grow your career and thrive in the new world of work, you've come to the right place. Let's go. Hello, this is Nathan Tanner, and welcome to another episode of the Not Your Parents Workplace Show. Today, I have the good fortune of interviewing Kevin Delaney. Kevin is a VP and the head of learning and development at LinkedIn. Prior to that, he was an HR executive at VMware and several other companies. He's a former colleague of mine and someone I consider to be a mentor and a friend. Uh, Kevin's also the author of the book, A Life Worth Living, Finding Your Purpose and Daring to Live the Life You've Imagined. And today we're going to dig into his book. Kevin, thank you for joining. Great to be here. As always, Nathan, great to catch up with you. Thanks for having me. Yes, so so excited. So let's start with the, the beginning of the book where you share a major health challenge that you faced. Uh, what, what happened and how did those health challenges shape your perspective? Yes, health challenges have a way of showing up unexpectedly. Certainly, that was the case for me. Everything was great. Life was good. And then it wasn't. Uh, Over the course of six months, everything pretty much turned upside down, had a series of health challenges. Uh, Cardiac arrest a few times, had a pacemaker put in, didn't go well, ripped out, had to have it done again. And this just continued Uh, Finally went back in for another surgery and uh, everything turned upside down. I ended up in a coma and doctors said I had 24 hours to live when they met with my family. And obviously something went well. Uh, We ended up taking this shot, putting me on the transplant list. I got an organ transplant that saved my life. Uh, And when I came to, you know, it was a whole different perspective, realizing how very close I had come to losing life, three small children at the time. And the list of things I still wanted to do with my life was long, but I came away with two very clear perspectives that life is fragile and life is precious. And uh, the poet Mary Oliver has a fantastic quote that says, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And I think that struck me deeply. I wanted to have a better answer to that question, what I was going to do with my one wild and precious life. Uh, realizing there is no endless supply of tomorrows. So that changed my perspective on how I thought about living. I'm far more intentional about what I do with whom I do it, recognizing that uh, time is limited. And I certainly want to end life with no regrets, having done everything I can to have a life worth living. Yeah. Yeah. And you've, you've, it seems like you've had both. You've obviously had an incredibly successful business career, Yet your book has more to do with, as you say, living a a meaningful life and and less on acquiring success at work. Uh, As as you wrote this book, why did you choose to to focus on that? I mean, simply put, life is more important than work. Uh, Life is bigger. Work is a piece of life. um, But life transcends that, you know, and everything affects everything would be the other side of the equation. If you're doing poorly in life, if you're doing poorly financially, doing poorly with your health, it's likely going to impact your performance at work. And so I think we have this mindset that at times we can have this work-life balance. There is no such thing. We get one life, one container, you squish all the stuff into it that you want, including work, including life, including baseball, whatever it is. 
And the trick is how do you find the right balance to make sure that you are getting everything done that you want to do? And then the other thing I would say, Jim Rohn is a guy that I've listened to and read everything he's written, but he had a quote that said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. If you work on your job, you'll make a living. If you work on yourself, you'll make a fortune. And I just think there's something to that reality that if you are learning and you are growing and you're working on just being a better person, that shows up at work, which lends itself to success. So you get to kill two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. And how how do you handle those competing priorities? Are there habits that you've uh, implemented to ensure that you're living a meaningful life and being successful at work? Would love to learn more about that. Yeah, I think you never stop prioritizing. You know, prioritizing is the process of deciding or or reminding yourself of what is important. And that's something you have to keep reevaluating as more information comes in, which means it has to happen every day or several times a day. But more importantly, I think you need to start with a clear understanding of what is actually important to you before you get swept up in the details and demands of daily living. And so everybody's got competing priorities. Everybody's trying to balance life, work, and everything in between. Uh, But if you're crystal clear on what you want to accomplish with the whole picture, it's a much easier process. And then you have to go through the rigor of actually pausing to take stock of all the demands on you at any given moment and applying that against the things you value and the things you want to accomplish. And I think ultimately that's what yields the best prioritization for me, but it starts with a plan because if I'm comparing my actions against a plan, then I can decide whether or not I'm on course. Uh, And it's when I'm moving off the plan in an ad hoc sort of way that I end up getting swept into other people's priorities rather than my own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and more, more tactically, are there any specific things that you've done to create that plan? Or if, if I'm wondering, Kevin, I, I don't know what's important to me. I want to live a good life. I want to live a meaningful life. Where, where, where do I start? Uh, any, any guidance there? Yeah, I think that I take the year process pretty seriously. Forget New Year's resolutions. I just think 12 months is a good period of time to have significant things happen uh, for good or bad. And I'd certainly like to hedge my bets that good things happen. And so I go through a fairly lengthy process I call my January journey. And I look back on the year I had, uh, identify the parts that went well and what didn't go well, where I achieved my plans, where I didn't, uh, what I enjoyed most, what I enjoyed least, who I enjoyed most, who I enjoyed least, and try to use those as shaping factors and then plan the new year. And that's a full comprehensive dream the dream. Where do I wanna go? What experiences do I wanna try for the first time? Who would I like to meet? Like dream the dream. If I could pick five people that I would really love to just meet and have, you know, coffee with, who would it be? And just kind of let yourself go big on the dreams of things to do, places to go, people to meet, experiences to live. And then I put that into my calendar. And ultimately for me, the planning is part, but then on a monthly basis, really diligent about going back and just checking in to see, Have I done anything? I think the stats are by January 28th, most people who have done New Year's resolutions have already abandoned them, which for me (laughs) 
I take the whole month of January to plan the year. So I feel like, all right, I'm already ahead. I'm just getting going by the end of January. But the monthly check-ins remind me whether or not I'm doing what I said would make the year great. And then ultimately, I wrap it up in daily practices. Uh, I found a long time ago that there is deep power in doing things consistently. And for me, the ultimate consistency is a daily basis. Um, and I took a shot and thought, all right, five years from now, what will five years from now, Kevin, wish that I had done every day for five years to make life better? Mm-hmm. It's kind of that you see somebody playing a piano recital and you lament, oh man, I took piano classes as a kid. If only I didn't quit, I'd be that good. Well, I didn't want that later in life. And so five years from now, Kevin kind of identified practices that I thought, and I track those daily. Um, and, you know, there's some interesting ones that I found unique. One, I review my goals for the year every day. I thought, what better way to make sure I'm mindful of them and pursuing them than to make sure I'm remembering them. So, you know, I have seven daily practices. I review my goals. I think spiritual life is important. Every day I read the Bible and pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, music's huge for me. I play some musical instruments every day just to stay grounded in enjoying uh, that whole process of playing music. Read books, exercise, writing's important to me. So I write every day. And then one that's newer in the last few years is to focus on getting at least six hours of sleep every night. I've historically been somebody that uh, did not sleep a lot and function well without it. Uh, yeah. I broke my neck in my 20s. And so I'm a train wreck in the morning, whether I have you know four hours of sleep or eight. And so I figured a long time ago, if I'm going to feel terrible in the morning, I'll just you know sleep less and get more done. Uh, but then the amount of research I've been reading over the last few years of the detriment and ties to anything from Alzheimer's to dementia, I thought, you know, five years from now, Kevin would appreciate not having uh, dementia. So I'm really trying to focus on getting at least six hours of sleep every night. But those are my five dailies that tie into mm. the practices I think will serve me well and uh, put me in a better position five years from now. Yeah, I, I love the combination of the the annual planning, as you called it, your, your January journey, and then breaking that up into a, a daily practice and doing the, the little things consistently. And it sounds like you found great power in the, the planning, but also in the reflection and taking time to reflect back on what's, what's working. Um, do, you, do you then you know, iterate from there in that reflection process? Or what, what does that reflection process do for, for you? Yeah, I find reflection is really important. I don't know about you. I forget everything. You know, there's an old <laughs> adage, you know, yeah. the list of ink is better than the sharpest of memory. Uh, and I'm a believer, write it down. It reminds you in some moment of clarity what you thought was important, uh, what you wanted to accomplish. And so the process of writing is the planning, but the process of reflection is looking back on those things and reflecting on whether or not you're making progress. I actually think that progress is imperative to the human condition. We all want to feel like we're getting from somewhere to somewhere better. And that process to me means you have to actually measure. Uh, You know, the ultimate expression of progress to me is, are you making measurable progress in a reasonable time? And uh, so reviewing your goals daily, if you're doing nothing against your annual goals and day after day, you start your day by opening that list and you read through the entirety of your year goals. And now you're sitting on March 3rd and you realize I've done nothing. It's not hard to extrapolate out forward and realize this will not be 
the year of my life I wanted if this trend continues. Sure. So it's looking in the mirror. And then from there, you decide, am I satisfied or not? And then put some plans and actions in place to course correct. Yeah. I love that quote you shared. Progress is imperative to the human condition. It's so, it's so true. Uh, so Kevin, it's, it's been said that everyone has a book in them. Have you always wanted to write a book or what made you feel like now was the right time for, for this one? I certainly wanted to write for a long time, but I think a lot of people want to, and there's a big difference between wanting to and actually writing. Um, when I was 49 years old, my kids gave me a very unique gift. They gave me an empty photo album and a list of 50 things they wanted me to do before I turned 50 years old. So I had a, you know, 365 day running start to accomplish 50 really hard things, frankly. I mean, they were not sandbagging. I was supposed to, you know, learn some new instruments. I was supposed to meet the president of the United States. I was supposed to write a book. And so that really was the catalyst when your kids look at you and say, hey, look, we know a lot of your story and we want to know more. Please write it down. That was one catalyst. Um, and then it was a process of realizing, I don't know how to do that. Um, and so, you know, I talked to a lot of people, yourself included, like, who are the people who have gone down this road? Because I had some clear myths in my head. You're supposed to grab a notebook and a computer and go to a coffee shop and then just spill out your memories. That is not how you write a book. <laughs> and so I had to do some research to like, how do you actually methodically go through the process? But the catalyst truly was my kids asking me. And the second piece was I did come away with such huge perspective 12 years ago when my health issues really took life in a new direction. I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget the lessons learned and I didn't want to grow complacent yeah. and take life for granted. And so as time goes on, I came away at first believing I will have this crystal clear perspective on life forever. And then you realize that bad drivers still frustrate you and stuff in life still gets you down. And you realize, no, I have to actually choose my perspective every day. And I thought going through the process of writing it down would help me not lose it. And uh, I'm a big believer that being reminded uh, or you know, having good reminder systems is half of living well. And the book really served that purpose for me, forcing me to remember the journey so I could appreciate it all the more. Mm -hmm. And Kevin, what, what did you learn about yourself uh, from, from writing this book? I think probably the biggest thing is we tend to have this perspective of good and bad. Um, and I was reminded that who I am today is the product of everything that has happened to me, both good and bad. And if I like where I am today, I have to be grateful for the entire journey the hard parts, the easy parts, the great parts, the memorable, uh, and realizing that we sort of look back at times and lament things that didn't go well. And I think I came away with a much deeper sense that things served purposes in my life that I did not realize at the time, uh, but collectively taken, that's life. And I think I came to appreciate that far more um, that I could take the bad stuff and be grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us have, have faced that or situations where we're, uh, you know, severe setbacks or the economy, uh, you know, spirals downward or this kind of COVID period we're in now. Uh, what's something unexpected that has happened in your career that maybe you thought was 
bad, you know, and how, how did you respond to that? In the book, I, I tell a fable that uh, struck me and it, it relates deeply to my career. You know, as the saying goes, there was a farmer who relied on, you know, his horse for his livelihood, came out one morning, saw the pen of the stable open and his one horse gone. Uh, and thus, you know, putting his livelihood in jeopardy. And the neighbor seeing this says, oh, that's terrible. You know, what are you going to do? But the farmer very calmly says, yeah, it could be good, could be bad. Who knows? You know, it'll all work out. And he continues on. But, you know, later that afternoon, there's a thundering off in the distance and the neighbor and the farmer look up and there's a whole herd of horses coming. His in the front leading a bunch of wild horses right into his pen. And now he's got a dozen horses and the neighbor's like, oh my gosh, how lucky are you? But the <laughs> farmer again takes that approach of, well, it could be good, could be bad, who knows? And the story continues where the sun goes out and wants to break one of the wild stallions, but in the process is thrown off and breaks an arm and a leg. And the neighbor, of course, sees that as terrible events and what bad news, but the farmer always the same. Well, it could be good, could be bad. Who knows, but it'll all work out. The next day, the army comes through and conscripts all able-bodied men in the village off to war. But because the son is laid up with a broken leg and a broken arm, he's spared. And on and on it goes. And the takeaway for me was that, one, we're not very good at knowing in the moment what is actually good or what is bad. Mm, yeah. The very good things, in fact, I've, I can look back on my life and see things I thought were great that ended up terrible. And other things that I thought were horrible that turned out fantastic. And, you know, for me, one of them was uh, around the time of all these health issues, I was actually working at Microsoft. I had gotten there because I was acquired uh, when I was part of a company called Tell Me Networks. But it was a really hard acquisition. And in the process, I did a ton of work to get the deal done and closed. But I got laid off because they had HR people like me. And in the moment, that was horrible news. I thought Microsoft is a great company. Uh, I worked really hard on the deal. And then there's that sense of like, you know, hey, not belonging and sort of pushed out into the cold. And you've set this you know, deal up to be really beneficial for the participants. And you weren't going to be one of them. And at the moment, if you'd asked me, I would certainly have said bad news. But I moved on and went to VMware and had, you know, five and a half years of incredible experience doing five different jobs, really rounding out a lot of different experience. Um, and that set me up to go to a company called LinkedIn. Uh, and LinkedIn, ironically, was acquired four years ago by Microsoft. <laughs> yes. and what I realized at the time was there were people I met the second time being acquired by Microsoft who were still in the same chair, same job, doing the same thing. But the job that I came back to and the job I get to do today as part of LinkedIn, as part of Microsoft, is a phenomenal job that never would have materialized or been possible had I stayed with Microsoft 12 years ago. And that was probably this crystalline moment where I realized the bad news then was necessary to have the incredible opportunities and experience I have had with LinkedIn and Microsoft today. And even in the middle, I would say, you know, I had hard things in my life over the last bunch of years, one of which was getting divorced, not on my to-do list, hard, painful. Mm -hmm. But while I was at VMware, I met an incredible woman named Vicki, and she's my wife now, which again, I look at things that were bad, open doors to things that were good. And so where I stand today, I can look at these events in life that in the moment were really hard, but I can see now that there were great things that came out of it. And I would certainly encourage everyone 
to look back and reflect on life and find at least a couple of those moments where something you thought was horrible, in fact, turned out to be good. So that when you get to a current situation of, oh, this is terrible, there's at least a part of your mind saying, but maybe, maybe this will be great if I give it time. And I think that's the key. We need the perspective of time to accurately judge whether something is actually good or bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, that's so powerful. Yeah, there's a, events that, that happen in our life. And I think naturally as humans, we attach meaning to them, whether good or bad. And that's why I love that story you share of the farmer could be good, could be bad, who knows, as we project and extrapolate. I had the, the same thing happen early in, in my career when I got laid off. Uh, I thought I found this amazing job and it, it disappeared. And it was like, well, you know, there, there goes my career. And in hindsight, I'm able to figure out, you know what, that was probably the best thing that could have happened. Um, and sometimes it's those really difficult situations that are necessary to unlocking amazing opportunities to, to, to your point. And, and time uh, and space can, uh, can, can provide that. Absolutely. And, and the key, I suppose, is to make sure you don't get mired down and wallow in the badness of a situation because I forget, I think it was Alexander Graham Bell who said, you know, a door shuts, a window opens, but so often we're so busy lamenting over the door that shut, we don't notice the new opportunities that come with the window, Uh, something Mm -hmm. to that effect. And so as long as we're looking for the next possibilities, um, there's incredible parts of the journey. Yeah, yeah. I I would love your perspective on, on this, Kevin. I feel like for many, there's a lot of pressure whether it comes from themselves or from others, to do the, quote, right thing. And by that, I mean pressure to go to the right school, get the right job, the right company. How have you resisted that urge to chase what others are doing and really focus on living the life that that you want? Suppose, first of all, you need to actually spend the time to actually know what it is you want. And I don't think a lot of people do that reflection to ponder the details, because if you're absent that specificity, it's much more likely you'll be pulled into somebody else's plan. Uh, So one, make sure you spend the time to actually explicitly know what you want. That's where I go into my planning my year in detail, because again, if I have my plan, then I know my desires and I can understand when I'm being pulled away from them. And it's when I'm not in the midst of my plan that I'm pulled into somebody else's expectations in the moment or I'm influenced by others. Um, I think there's a piece that comes back that, you know, Bronnie Ware was a a nurse who ended up writing a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. But it was crystal clear as she was at end of life care for people that there were similar themes that a lot of people realized they spent their time on the wrong things in the course of their life and they ended with regret. And for me, regret is such a demoralizing thing. It's, you know, that mourning of a lost or missed opportunity. And in life, that's the one thing. You can't get more time. And so I think I've married both the fragility of life, the clarity that you don't get a second chance if you miss it. um, And that forces me to spend the time to understand what I want. And that at least helps me. Everybody is susceptible to, you know, mom wants you to do this. You're going to lean in. But it's all about ratios. 
while I might not get to 100% what I'm pursuing and 0% of others, that's probably good because sometimes some of the things other people want me to do are probably beneficial for me anyway, much like the good, bad, who knows. But as long as the majority of my energy is pursuing the things I've deemed important, and I realize there's some value sometimes in pursuing the things others want, it's a pretty good balance. So it's all about the ratio. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is it's really understanding the life that you want to live and what's important to you. And the more you're focused on that, the more you can ignore what may be popular or others who may be, uh, you know, pressuring you to, to, to do certain things. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. And certainly if you're thinking about reviewing that daily plan on a daily basis, reviewing those things you want for your life and for the year, it's top of mind. Every day you stare at this long list of things of the things you want to do and places you want to go and people you want to meet. Uh, that cements it pretty deeply. So you realize when you're off course and if you're not reviewing it, then you don't remember it. And if you don't remember it, then you're clearly going to be blown in the wind as pressure from the outside world knocks you off course. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Having that daily reminder of what your goals are, what's, what's important to stay, staying focused on that. Um, so Kevin, some people are going to hear this and say, awesome. Thanks, Kevin. I want a life worth living, but I, have bills, kids, uh, I'll get to it at some point, but I'm super busy now. Uh, what advice would you give them? Where, sh where should they start? Yeah, the reality is now is the only thing you got. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And so while it's easy to say there's something pressing right now, this thing of life and the important things of relationships and the important things of being there for your kids and, you know, accomplishing things that are meaningful and purposeful in your life. Those are the things that ultimately will be the headline and legacy of what you leave behind. And I think that that's a piece of the equation. There's, you know, a great historical story that comes back to me that, you know, Alfred Nobel had the unique experience of waking up, opening the, the newspaper and seeing his own obituary, uh, which was unique because obviously he didn't die. They had mixed up his brother and Alfred and run the wrong obituary. But what was more concerning to Alfred Nobel was the headline. It said, the merchant of death is dead and went on to talk about the fact that he was the person behind nitroglycerin and dynamite and enabled in essence, the original weapons of mass destruction but he was horrified. Here he was a inventor wow. and a business person and an entrepreneur, 355 patents, but he saw his headline was the merchant of death is dead and it mortified him. And so he decided in a unique situation, most of us don't get, that's not the legacy I want to leave. So he took 94% of his wealth and he pushed it to pursue the recognition of the very best in humanity. And he established the Nobel prizes you know, one of which is the Nobel Peace Prize. And if you think today the reputation and legacy of Nobel, it is about those prizes and the Nobel Peace Prize. And no one would go back and equate him to the merchant of death. That's the moment of clarity to ask the question, what will be your legacy? And whether you're busy today or not, and clearly understanding there's not an endless supply of tomorrows, uh, get to work on the legacy you want to leave behind. And I think at the end of the day, nobody wants to say my legacy was I paid all my bills on time. Mm 
I never missed a day of work. Uh, you know, the old adage is so true. No one on their deathbed says, I wish I spent more time at the office. And so I believe that we have the opportunity as Nobel did, because we're still alive, we can rewrite the legacy we want as long as we start to do something. And that's what it comes down to me. You gotta take action. You have to do something because if you don't change, nothing changes. So action is the ultimate piece. And I have a deep bias towards action. Even if it's the wrong one, then you learn to course correct after the fact. But I think a lot of people miss opportunities because they're waiting for all the information. And I yeah. think it's better to take some action and see what results you can find. Yeah, yeah. And, and on, the, on the topic of taking action, so you mentioned that list of 50 things that your, your kids gave you when you turned 49. What, what was one thing on that list that you did take action on that may have been surprising or uh, you, you wouldn't have done otherwise? It is an interesting exercise to see what other people believe you should be doing with your time. <laughs> you know, and clearly some was self-serving, you know, like, hey, dad, you should make sure you do an extravagant big trip to Disneyland, parenthetical, with your kids. Uh, you know, that was interesting. Um, but clearly, you know, there was some fun ones. It was, you know, and I thought this was self-serving until I saw how they implemented, like try all 31 flavors of Baskin Robbins ice cream. And I thought, yeah, kids are just looking for 31 trips to Baskin Robbins. Like, oh, no, 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 dad, we're going to Baskin Robbins. You're doing all 31 flavors today. And there was something beautiful about that reminder that you can take ordinary events and make them extraordinary simply by doing them differently. And so those were some interesting pieces. That was a year, you know, I learned to play the saxophone. I love instruments, but I've never learned any woodwind. It's all the other kind of stuff. Um, so that was a fascinating thing. Uh, one of the things was to learn to knit. That was the utter failure. Like I tried, I went in, I had somebody try to teach me that thing just did not click. Um, but all the better, you know, if everything was easy, then you wouldn't appreciate it when it actually does work out. And I realized that 50 things of that magnitude, man, that was a huge ask. We didn't get through them, but I also didn't stop. So once, you know, I turned 50, I kept going and I'd say we're at 38 of the things. You know, there was another one, well see all 50 states. They thought I was going to see all 50 states inside of a year. So, um, you know, we're still working on some of those. The book was there. I still have to meet a president in the United States. So, you know, uh, I'm still chipping away. But yeah. I think that all of those in, their, in and of themselves, that's the piece where life is a collection of experiences, collect well. So it almost doesn't matter whether they're all life-changing. If it adds color to life, it enhances the journey and makes the whole thing better. Yeah, def definitely creating a, a life worth living. Ke Kevin, I, I want to say thanks to you. Uh, so we actually met at a very pivotal point of, of my career as I uh, was transitioning to HR. And even within that was feeling confused and somewhat lacking direction on where I wanted to take things. And you provided perspective and mentorship at a very, very pivotal time for me in my career. Uh, and it's something that I will always be grateful for. Um, and so I, I want to say thank you for that. Uh, you're certainly someone that I've seen who practices what he preaches.
Well, you are absolutely welcome. And I, I think Life Rewards Initiative, uh, and I have so appreciated the way you lean in and you respectfully initiate and try new things. Uh, and, and likewise, I've learned so much from you when I came down to writing the book. I thought, all right, who do I know who's gone through this process? And you were a wonderful source of information, both in how, in the reading, in the proofreading. So like every relationship, uh, they're always best when they're mutually beneficial. And ours is one of those. I uh, appreciate your friendship and I appreciate the opportunities we've had uh, to discuss a wide array of things, but you are both welcome. And also thank you very much for all you've contributed in my pursuits. Oh, you're, you're welcome. Th thank you so much. Uh, I encourage everyone to check out the book, A Life Worth Living. Uh, there are great stories throughout, very, very real stories, not just inspirational stories, but very real stories throughout. I love Kevin's authenticity in writing that but there's also a lot of good questions that encourage reflection. Uh, definitely a, a, a book worth worth reading. Ke Kevin, anything uh, else before we, we we wrap up? Anything you'd like to share with the, with the audience? Probably come back to the place we start. Mary Oliver's question is one we should ask ourselves regularly, and that is, of course, tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. I think it's a question we need to keep asking to make sure that we don't end life with regret, but we find that, in fact, we lived a life that was remarkable and one that is the legacy we want to leave. So I hope in the midst of that, both for you and certainly I will never uh, stop the pursuit, but hope the listeners as well go and find that life worth living uh, that they want to live. What a, what a perfect way to end. Th thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate thank you joining. You. Great to see you. That concludes another episode of the Not Your Parents Workplace show. Thanks for joining. If you enjoyed it, please share with others or take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. It really does help spread the word. Finally, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. See you then.